all right, well, welcome. I'm laughing because the side came out and like the haze machine just like started <laughs> going. I was like, is this thing broken? Like, what is going on? I thought everybody's going to choke to death. So, but hey, you know, you can't have church without haze. I don't know if you know that or not. It's 2023. So, it's good to see everybody. Hey, if you're a guest, my name is Ryan, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, my cell phone number is in the program. It's on the website. If you're tuning in, I want to welcome those of you that are tuning in online. I know a lot of our community is connecting uh, online and on demand at some point in time throughout the week, so thank you for participating in our weekend gathering. Uh, my phone number's in there. Just text me if you want to have coffee. I would love to do that. If uh, you're a guest or if you've been around for a while to connect, if you have any questions or you just want to learn more about our church. I'd love to meet you if we've never met and hear your story. I'm happy to share a bit of my story and we can go out for coffee or whiskey or whatever it is you want to do. That'd be wonderful. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to be a person of the people. No, but I love that. It's going to be, a, it would be a lot of fun if you want to do that. And if you are, I guess, welcome today. We're in a series called The Way of Peace. So our church centers and is reimagining and rethinking through this idea of Christianity, this faith-filled living in new terms of peacemaking. And so we've entered into kind of a 10-year vision around peacemaking um, that uh, if you're a guest, you'll hopefully hear more and more about as you kind of get connected. But really the invitation that Jesus offered, and I think the spirit of Jesus that still is alive, that we celebrate, offers us, is to be a peacemaker in this world, in our everyday normal lives. And so we've been asking this question, well, what does it mean to do that? How do we live that out? We've been talking about developing a rule of life, right? A rule of life, just a really strict, moralistic way of following all the rules, right? So we're, we're not chewing gum. We're not going to movies anymore. This is, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not talking about, we're talking about gentle guidelines, ways in which we can engage our world that we can develop a healthy spirituality focused on peacemaking. And so the first week of this series, we said that a Jesus-centered life is a peace-centered life. That if we're not careful, we can talk about being Jesus-centered people, but we don't really know what that means, right? But Jesus came to light a path of peace, uh, Zechariah said in this beautiful poem that, that Luke gives us, right? That, that this dawn from on high came to light up this path of peace right? And so we just then begin to look at what are some of these rules that we could apply into our lives, these structures that help us stay focused on peacemaking, wholeness, right? Peace is not simply the absence of conflict, but it's wholeness, it's equity, it's justice in our world, right? So rule number one we said was to daily choose to follow Jesus. And what that means for us here is to walk the narrow path of loving mercy, doing justice, and living sacrificially, right? A narrow path of inclusion, a narrow path of grace and forgiveness. Rule number two, we said daily listen to wisdom. We talked about the spirit of wisdom that is working all around us, and, and that wisdom is knowledge hard fought for and then used for good. And we said here at Crossroads, we want to be people that take that knowledge. We work hard for knowledge, and then we use it to rewrite the five unacceptables. And we talk about the five unacceptables a lot around here. And then last week, we talked about rule number three, to practice mindfulness. Practice mindfulness. And we were reimagining and thinking through, what does it mean to be people of prayer? Right? Prayer can be a daunting word, but we said to be fully present with God in every moment of our lives, to be mindful. And we have this peacemaking prayer that I hope many of you are praying. If you don't have that prayer, we have little cards on your way out. They're sitting on the table. You can grab that. I think there might be a few on the tables if you're sitting at tables today, or if you're online, it's on the weekend resources. But it's just a prayer we can pray every day that we're going to follow Jesus into a space, look for one person that we can bring mercy and hope and peace to in a tangible way. 
How many of y'all like it when people ask you what you do for a living? You just love to share that. I hate it. Worst question ever. Get on a plane, get in a public space. If you're in my world, people say, you start trying to say, what do you do for a living? Now I lead a nonprofit. (laughs) That's what I say. I lead a nonprofit that focuses on alleviating poverty and bringing, you know, spiritual emptiness into spiritual flourishing. And we're, we're working to end homophobia and racism and sexism. And I talk about those things and I say, yeah, I'm a pastor. Yeah, doesn't fly very well in this day. It's a question I don't like to ask because I feel like as soon as I say that, I immediately have to explain what that means because people have an understanding of what it means to be a pastor. And it's generally a person who thinks they're better than everybody else. And I'm not saying these are grounded in reality. It's just the truth of it. There's, there's, we've shifted from like being a part of clergy, being a, a, a church leader was this trusted member of society. Like that ship has sailed, people. I don't know if you know that or not right? It's a tough, tough, tough landscape in my business these days. I mean, we moved into a new neighborhood, and that's what everybody asked. Oh, what do you do for a living? Like, oh, well, I'm a pastor of that church right over there, because you can see the church from the neighborhood. We live across the street, and you just see it on people's faces. They just go, I go, oh, but wait, 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 we're kind of different, you know, and then I have to go through the whole thing. They're like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird, you know? There was an article that came out called Generation Z and the Future of Faith in America from the Survey Center on American Life uh, last year. And basically it said that Gallup has found that trust and confidence in organized religion has plummeted over the last two decades. Anybody surprised by this? No. Now the truth is only 37% of the public reported having a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in religious institutions, only 37% a massive decline since 2001, where 60% said they felt confident in religious institutions. Now, truth is, only 35% of all Americans believe that religion causes more problems than it solves. It's not bad, 35%, right? But among those who've left religion, right, the ones who were in it and experienced it, (laughs) that's a different story. 69% believe that religion causes more problems than solutions. So if you were in it, to win it, right? You were a part of it, but you left it. You have that, that percentage is much higher of people that go, oh yeah, no, super problematic. Like six in 10 Americans who've always been religiously unaffiliated, right? They've never been a part of any kind of religious community or faith community, believe that religion causes more problems in society than it solves. So Reddit, you familiar with Reddit? Anybody familiar with Reddit? Any of the young folks? I'm not exactly sure what it is. I know it exists out there. Just going to be real honest with you. Every time I hear the word Reddit, I don't know whether I should trust it or not. But it's some sort of online thingy, my bobber, that they got going on on this newfangled internet. (laughs) Right? I'm pretty convinced the internet is not a pet rock. It's sticking around. I think so. I think so. I'm finally convinced. So Reddit, a user went on Reddit and asked the question, hey, why did you stop going to church? Why did you stop going to church? And there were some responses. I'd like to read some of the responses for you as to why people stopped going to church. These are raw and they're real. I'm going to do my best because I know we got some kids in the room to clean up the language a little bit. But we need to accept this reality, right? The first way that we change is to accept the present truth and reality. So here's the responses. Why did you leave the church? One said, one user said, my father lost his job and the only work he could get involved travel, which meant that he couldn't make the Sunday service. For shame. Couldn't make the Sunday service. So even though my parents gave to the church monthly, all the support we got were prayers that he would find a job closer to home. 
As a teenager, I was also asked by a church elder why my father thought making money for his family was more important than attending church. That'll leave a good taste in your mouth. Here's another one. The priest I confessed my sin to was molesting kids and fled the country. My sins were hella tame compared to whatever he had going on behind the scenes. I didn't feel cleansed. I couldn't in good conscience be associated with a religion that refused to protect its own children. So those hypocritical sickos can F off. Pretty good reason to leave a church. That was your experience. Uh, one person wrote, I realized the only emotion that place made me feel was intense guilt. Now I'm only slightly bitter. This one's a good one. They stopped giving out donuts at the youth group. <laughs> you got to keep it real. Got to keep it real. This, one said, this person said, I never felt truly accepted. Everyone was super friendly, but it seemed I couldn't be accepted in their bubble. I also felt I didn't need to go to church to be a religious person. I've also been bullied at church retreats when I was in grade school. One person said, the moment that I realized in the absence of miracles, the proof of Christianity is supposed to be the lives of the people who follow it. And the average person I saw in church generally was no better than the average non-believer. So where is the evidence for there being anything to it? Another person wrote, I was at a church gathering when someone made blatantly sexist comments. When I pushed back and said, that's not okay, church leadership told me to back off and seek counseling. One person wrote, when the church leader told me, when the church leader kept telling us to donate 10% of our money or we're not welcomed, and in youth group, he made us watch a video that said, yoga is made for the devil to brainwash us. It's evil. One person wrote, the pastor that I deeply admired and respected turned out to be having multiple affairs and cheating on his wife for months, if not years, prior to finding out. It just feels like I've been duped, and it will take time before I'm ready to go back. One person said, are you enjoying this so far? Make you feel really good, right? One person wrote, because it was a toxic environment full of people who thought they were better than everybody else because they went to church every Sunday, despite the fact that they beat their wives, get drunk and abuse their children, lie, cheat, and steal, it drove me away from religion altogether. Like the truth is, this is not a good experience for a lot of people. <laughs> the truth is, the organized church, like Christianity as a whole, like we've, we've let it We've let it become something I don't think it was ever meant to be. And no place is perfect, don't get me wrong. But this idea that, that we float out there, well, the church is a, a, an imperfect place full of imperfect people, so just, it's fine, doesn't acknowledge and honor the pain and the hurt that have been caused in what is supposed to be some of the, what should be one of the safest places, right? Like spiritual abuse, right? To take the name of God, to use it to control people, manipulate people, to get what we want from people is like a double whammy because God, that is love, that is meant to be the safest space for our soul, all of a sudden now becomes a, a represented by an exclusionary, fiery, angry kind of reality. And it presents this big question for us, right? What happens when the church becomes a den of thieves to the watching world? Right? Jesus had this experience. He, we have this great story where Jesus walks in and, and he's like, what the heck is going on here? And he says, this place is supposed to be a house of worship, a place of communion with God, and it's become a den of thieves. And he turns over the tables. And it was probably, you know, historically speaking, that kind of action that led to his crucifixion because he started messing with the money. 
And it was the den of thieves. It wasn't a place of thievery. We often think that. It's not that there was thievery going on, but it was a space where thieves would come and hang out and think they're okay. That they could come and gather and avoid the consequences of their thievery, of their injustices. So the question is, if the purpose of the church, right, the actual purpose of the gathered experience is to provide safety from the abusive structures of the world, right, from the abusive powers of the world, from the, from, from the unjust systems that exist, right? If it's to create a space where everybody's welcome, where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, the great dividing blocks of Jesus' day, if it's supposed to be this alternative, right? It's supposed to be a place that opens hearts to God's purposes for their lives, to provide support in times of discouragement and doubt and depression, but it ends up doing the exact opposite. What do we do? Do we just shut it down? Like, what do we do when the church seems to just be losing its purpose, no longer advancing this beautiful gospel of grace, but what's evolved and what's come up through the power structures and through the institutionalization of faith, right, is just this gospel of personal power and nationalism and control. Like, what do we do? Is it possible to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, but to be ashamed of the church that's so twisted and distorted that gospel message that it's no longer good news unless you're in leadership or unless you're an insider that supports the leadership? I think this is the weight of the moment that we're in as we look and see that the church itself is no less divided than the world that it exists in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German kind of theologian dissident. If you're not familiar with Bonhoeffer, he was actually, uh, he was martyred. He was killed as, as kind of a conspirator in the plot to assassinate uh, Hitler. But he's a great, great mind, wrote a book, um, wrote this really kind of classic called Life Together. And, it, and he really just kind of dug into what was the purpose of the church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but like a lot of scholarship now that we have around the Bible comes out of Germany. German theologians, German scholarship, part of the Reformation. But just, he himself was one of these great, beautiful minds. And he wrote this book called Life Together, a classic exploration of Christian community. And in this book, he talks about two types of love that we pursue inside of community. His words are human and spiritual. So when we gather as human beings in any type of community, we're seeking a love, and there's either a human love or there's a spiritual love. And human love, he describes as a shallow desire, right? It's a shallow desire for this human community to connect. And as long as it can be satisfied, as long as I get human love, as long as I get human affirmation, it won't give itself up, right? As long as I'm feeling good about it, it's not going to give itself up, even for the sake of truth. It's just going to continue to focus on itself. It will ever, actually never give itself up even for the sake of genuine love for other people because it just feels so good that I am accepted and people like me and they put me up on my pedestal and I can find my own space. And he says, it, this love has, has nothing to do with the world, right? It's just for itself. It's this human love to, to make me feel good. In contrast, he talks about spiritual love, what I would call divine love, what I'm going to call divine love the rest of our time together, which should only be a few hours. There's no real football. It's flag football today, so don't worry about it. Boom. Thank you. See? See? He knows what's up. He knows what's up. So this divine love, right? This divine love is the core. It should be the core desire of the church, right? This, this spiritual love, it comes from Jesus, 
It was emanated. It is Jesus. And it's a desire. It's a love about serving Jesus alone, about being in relationship with Jesus alone. Like that's at the very core. And so Christian community is genuine and is authentic when people gather and they're motivated by that passion. One passion and one passion only, Jesus. This love that Jesus exemplified. And so Bonhoeffer states that human love produces things like human subjection, human dependence, constraint. But spiritual love recognizes the true image of the other person which they've received from Jesus Christ. Right? The ability to see every person in this world is made in the image of God. And, and that love, like tapping into that, living into that, is the purpose. And so this love translates then, as it has over the years, into these communal practices. Some we've done today. Prayer. Shelley was here praying for people who wanted to pray. We prayed together as a community. Scripture reading. We're getting to that, I promise. Right? We, 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 we practice things like singing, getting our minds off of ourselves trying to think and imagine about this divine reality. This love that Jesus represents, it motivates us to be missional in our activities, to pursue ministries of meekness, Bonhoeffer talks about. It should, it should cause us to listen, to be helpful, to bear with one another. And it builds unity because it recognizes the divine in every person. And so, when built on human love, this is, I think, what's the real tension and what the real problem, what we've seen emerge is that when a church community is not built on divine love, but it's built on human love, the church gathering will actually become a very self-centered space and will actually inflict every kind of wound that it's meant to heal. That's what happens. That's what happens when we aren't focused on divine love and we're focused on human love, when we're focused on how do we make everybody happy, how do we get the most people in the room, how do we sing the right songs, have the right lights, how do we make sure that we speak the language that, that makes people feel welcome, that like gets into, how do we get everybody to think the same way about my theology, or how do I get everybody to think the same way about my politics? And we, we kind of center away from divine love, and we get into this area of human love, me feelings. And Scripture actually does offer us quite a bit of wisdom around divine love in community. I mean, we could pick all kinds of writings that we have around what God's vision is establishing in the church. But I just want to look for a few moments at a few verses from a little letter called 1 Thessalonians. I mentioned this letter last week. 1 Thessalonians is probably the oldest piece of literature that we have in the collection of the New Testament was written by Paul. Most scholars agree that this is an authentic Pauline letter, the original radical Paul, who was creating radical community, who was breaking down all sorts of barriers, whose life was radically transformed by an encounter with this living Jesus. So this is what he writes, and I want to pull out four things about divine love that is expressed and should be expressed in community, because here's the thing I know for sure. I know that our church is not perfect, how many of y'all would say amen? amen. And, and here's what I know for sure. Like our church, we have wonderful, wonderful musicians say amen. amen. But they're not perfect. They're going to sing some bad notes every now and then. And we have a wonderful pastor. <laughs> Why well, everybody laughed at that one. I didn't even have to, I didn't have to make a joke. You just went right there. It was awesome. But I'm anything but perfect. 
right? And, and here's the thing, though. I want you to recognize, when we start talking about this divine love and community, all the stuff that we tend to look for when we go visit a church have nothing to do with what God wants in a community that represents God's vision for this world. It's just, and these aren't bad things. Like, let's have the haze machine and the lights and the, 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 the screens, all that stuff. I have no problems with that. But just remember, that's really not at all what this is about. Those are about human love, believe it or not, not divine love. Now, they can be used in service of divine love, but if we're not careful, they just start to tip the scale. So as we read through this, just remember, right? Like, this is the stuff that a faith community should be focused in on. And anything that we have, technology, singing, programs, should be done in service to this type of, this type of culture and reality. So here's what Paul writes to this group in Greece. He says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, cheer the faint-hearted, support the weak, and be patient with all. Man, nobody ever says, I left that church because they were so patient with me. I just stopped going because they were just so patient. They were so encouraging to me. When I was feeling down, they just cheered me on. It was so annoying. I had to get out of there. So what is this saying? I think divine love gently encourages our weakness and our wounds. There is this reality that we live in weakness at times, that we have wounds and we have created wounds. If you've been around me a while, that's my kind of way of talking about sin and its power over us. It wounds us and we wound others, right? And the church is a space where we we, we find ourselves engaging with those, and we find ourselves in community wrestling with the reality of our weaknesses and our wounds and our wounded nature, but it's done in a gentle way, right? Admonish the idle, the idle ones. Y'all ever been in a, in a funk, right? If we were to translate that, be like, encourage the people that are in a funk, just not doing anything, not really focused on living out love, not really self-sacrificing, just encourage them, admonish them. Like, hey, we get it. You're in a funk. Let's do something small. Serve some coffee to somebody, right? So there is that. We got to be encouraged out of our funk, right? There's, there's this idea that if you're faint-hearted, we, we should encourage one another in that. And it should all be done with gentleness, right? A church community should have a spirit of gentleness about it. Jesus said, my spirit is gentle, <laughs> right? My way is gentle. And that's the mark, right? So then Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians, and he says this, see that no one returns evil for evil, rather always seek what is good, both for each other and for all. So what is this all about? Well, I think what Paul is saying is that divine love, that the community that you're creating should be a safe space for everyone. That when you see people being mistreated, doing evil in the world, you don't return that evil, even within the context of your community. That's the way of the cross. That's the cruciform life. That there's a creative space here that says everybody's welcome. That we're not going to return evil when you bring somebody in and they've done something wrong. You're going to love them. You're going to encourage them. It should be safe for everyone. And there's a balance there, safe for both the individual and for the community, which is complex. And that's a whole other sermon topic. But what Paul's getting at, I think, is that the community, when you gather, should be this space of safety where people don't have to always be worried about retaliation, where there's a space of grace. And then he says this, rejoice always, 
pray without ceasing, in all circumstances give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. No problem, right? No problems there. Easy stuff. What is Paul getting at? I think that Paul's telling us that divine love in community offers hope in all circumstances, right? These, these, these verses get twisted and misused and say, oh, you should be thankful for everything you go through because God's put it in your life for a reason. I don't believe that for a second. I just don't believe that. I believe that God is present in all things. I believe that there, that there is a power to having a joy-filled spirit in all of our circumstances, to offering a heart of gratitude for the things in our lives that we can be. I mean, the science is, is clear on the power of gratitude in our lives. Like, we don't need to go back over that. So there's a power to gratitude, but I'm not grateful for the bad stuff in my life. And that doesn't make me a super Christian or a bad It makes me normal. Like, I'm not happy about the bad days. I don't wake up on a bad day like, Lord, thank you. This day sucked. I'm so glad for it. <laughs> That's crazy, toxic positivity. But I can, in the midst of all that is bad, I can say, thank you, Lord, for your presence with me in the middle of all this that is so crazy. Thank you that you've walked with me. Thank you for this person in my life who's sitting with me. Like I can have a spirit of gratitude without being grateful for these things in my life that, that are painful or harmful. And there is redemption. I believe God can use those things for our good. I believe that deeply. But that's not to say that God's the first cause, that all oh, this bad thing happened because this is just the only way God could accomplish God's purposes in your life. I just don't, I don't, I don't see that as loving. So then Paul goes on, he says this, and this is a good one too. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We loved this verse. <laughs> do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Test everything and retain what is good. What that meant was, don't you tell me not to dance in church. That's what that meant, right? I remember one time I was, I was pastoring a church and, uh, and we were kind of tame, much like y'all, chill in Colorado. And uh, this one person, boy, she was into it, into it and would like come down the aisle, and she would get going and dancing, and, and I remember like I just had to, I just come up and said, hey, I just, I think it's beautiful, like just that you want to express this joy, but it's really a distraction, so what I need you to do is just like stand in the back, like that was my, that was my solution, just stand behind everybody and do your thing, whatever, but let's not do the front, and of course, what do you think this person said to me? Oh, Oh, you're going to quench the Spirit. I was like, no, I think you're quenching the Spirit. <laughs> like, I think what God wants to do in this place is being distracted by what you want to do in this place, right? I mean, so but here's the thing. There is, this, there is this idea of the prophetic, right? And there is a distortion of this idea. The prophetic voice, if you read the prophets, it's always about social reformation. The prophetic voice is always about the injustices that are being, happening all throughout the nation and is primarily by the leadership, that was the prophetic voice, trying to keep the king and the court in check. So there is a space for the prophetic voice in our midst. There is a space for the Spirit of God to work, but it's not so that we can have freedom to dance. I mean, that's fine. Churches do that, and there are churches that hold that space, and they gather people that are more exuberant in worship. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not you all, okay, right? That's fine. Not necessarily me. But that's not what Paul's getting. I think what Paul is saying, when you gather in community, you should expect God to challenge you. That's what the prophetic voice does. You should expect that divine love will challenge your unjust behavior 
and it will challenge your distortions of God. And that's what the prophetic voice always did. And listen, your view of God, my view of God is distorted. It can't be anything other than that. Like, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. But I want to be challenged by it, and I want to grow. And I just want to get clearer and clearer and clearer as best as I can. But how could my view of God not be distorted? I mean, what we call God encompasses all things, holds all things, is the source of all things, is somehow working in all things towards the redemption and beauty of all things. And somehow I'm supposed to get that? Well, I went to graduate school. (laughs) I studied theology for a few years. I got this. I mean, come on. But I want to gather with people, and I want the gathering to be a space that constantly challenges me to see God better, to see myself better, to recognize where my actions are continuing to produce unrighteousness in the world. And then Paul says this, wraps it up super easy, refrain from every kind of evil. (laughs) Bible's not too specific sometimes. I don't know if you know that or not. (laughs) Refrain from every kind of evil, right? This is like preaching material for people like me. Yes, let's just get into every kind of evil, right? Can I just say this more in a more positive way for us? I think what Paul's getting is like divine love and community, it shapes us for good works. To refrain from evil, we could say, is to do good works, right? So it shapes us for good works. The, the writer of Hebrews says this, we must consider how to rouse one another to love and good works. That there's an element of community that says, how can I do, do something good that I never would have thought of by myself? See, there's a power to a witnessing community in the world that says we come together, we bring our resources together for the common good. And together we provide, and and what happens when we come together is a source of synergy that says we can do things in our community that we can never do on our own. And yeah, the truth is we do it out of motivation because we believe every time we do something good, it's as if we're doing it for Jesus himself. Every time. Every time we work to rewrite the unacceptables, it's Jesus who is in poverty. It's Jesus who's being treated poorly. It's Jesus who is the the, the victim of homophobia. It's Jesus who is the victim of sexism. It's Jesus who is the victim of racism. It's Jesus who's being trafficked so that we we can buy what we want cheaper. Right? It's Jesus who the spiritual powers have oppressed. And so when we engage in that work, we find when we do it to the least of these, it's as if we've done it to Jesus. And so a community should stir us to be outward facing. And so this brings us to the fourth rule for our rule of life. Peacemaking commitment rule number four, gather together. Gather together. Weekly join with others to learn and celebrate and experience divine love. Now, here's the thing. If you're in the room, you're kind of into the large group gathering or small to mid-sized gathering these days, right? <laughs> you Maybe you're tuning in online because you're like, I don't know about the whole small to mid-sized gathering. I think we're wired, though, to need one another, to experience God uniquely through one another. And so I want to encourage you, without sounding like I'm selling snake oil, right? Is as a peacemaker, whether you're here in the room, whether you're in northern Colorado, is that you just make the commitment to gather weekly with people who are on that same spiritual journey. 
And how you do that, I'm not here to tell you what works for you. I'm not here to tell you you got to come into this building every week. As much as my ego would love for you to do that, that's not what I'm here to tell you to do. Like, for you, it might be gathering with two or three of your closest friends once a week. It might be gathering at some space in which you feel like I can actually rewrite an unacceptable truth and I'm going to gather with some friends and we're going to go and serve and we're going to learn about what's causing this break in peace in our community. And that's your weekly gathering. But I just, I can't get past, there's something about the human spirit that recognizes there's something about a rhythm of seven. All the major world religions recognize it. Christianity was founded on it. Judaism was, I mean, thousands of years, there's been this rhythm of seven. That there's something about going seven days without being with people that love you, that support you, to experience the love of God in that context, that divine love together. And so I want to encourage you to make that a habit. Whether it's coming into this space whether it's with a small group of people, whatever it might be, it could be joining the Latimer's group. That probably sounds like way more fun than listening to me. But you could go be a part of that group every week and you say, that's my weekly gathering. So in your everyday normal life, right, that's what we're always about. When I leave here, what does it mean? How do I live this out super practically? So first of all, prioritize a weekly gathering with peacemakers <laughs> where you can flourish spiritually. Remember, one of the major things we do here is we want to rewrite spiritual emptiness. And one of the key things we can do is gather with people that we want to spiritually flourish with. So whether that's Sunday morning, whether that's a small group, just let it be centered on peacemaking, spirituality. Let it be centered on Jesus. Let it be centered on serving, growing, becoming more like Jesus, whatever that community is. And I would just say if you're a part of Crossroads, no matter what that weekly gathering looks like, if it's not the Sunday morning thing, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, just stay connected to what's happening on the weekend. Because the weekend experience is just part of our tradition. Right, wrong, indifferent, whatever, I can't explain it. It just is what it is. This is where kind of like we have this rallying anchor point. So whatever we're talking about on Sunday, the series that we're doing, it just kind of unites and brings us together. So I would just encourage you to engage with it. Maybe not in community. You don't like a big group. That's fine. Listen to it. Watch it. If, if you don't like the sermon, listen to the music or the announcements. If you don't like the music, listen to the sermon. But just stay connected with what happens on the week. Because I think it's just part of our tradition. And it's where we kind of intersect. So I would just encourage that. And then I would say to you, if you really, I, I just want to encourage you to, to become a member of Crossroads. Whether you come on this Sunday, but just like be a part of it. Like membership isn't about everybody believing the same thing. Membership isn't about everybody giving the same amount of money. Or to, membership is about saying, this space is important for our community. And, and, and I am needed and necessary in the lives of other people. And so membership around here isn't like, let's go through and learn all the doctrines that everybody has to believe. That's really not what membership is. Membership is just saying, this is my church and I'm in. And I want to be present for others and I want others to be present for me. And so membership, I think there is a space for it still today. It, when it comes to just like planting our flag and saying, this space is important and I want to be a part of it. So we create this community that's centered around divine love where everyone is welcome. We take ownership of it, right? And, and some, we get involved in different ways. That's okay. But we create that space where divine love is at the center, not doctrines, not our traditions, but divine love, those things that challenge us and shape us and cause us to become 
better people and the world a better place. And I want to encourage you, whether you're a member or not, if you're a part of Crossroads or a peacemaker, that you participate when we do these church-wide spiritual journeys, right? So we do these journeys uh, throughout the year. So Advent is one of them. Some of you, many of you participated in the Advent journey. Uh, we're getting ready to do a Lent journey, and we have these special focus that we do throughout the year. Like, participate in those. So let me just take a moment and share with you the, the Lent journey starts on February 22nd. Um, Lent begins Wednesday, February 22nd. That's Ash Wednesday. We're actually celebrating Ash Wednesday the Sunday before because that's how we roll, you know? No re- no, nowhere does it say you got to celebrate Ash Wednesday on Wednesday, so we do kind of an Ash Sunday thing. Don't make you come back out on Wednesday. Um, but this Lent, if you're kind of not familiar with Lent, is kind of the 40 days leading up to Easter celebration. Traditionally, it's a season of three things, three spiritual habits that we focus in on. Prayer, right? So mindfulness, which we talked about last week. Uh, it's about fasting. Whoo-hoo. Tricky subject. Fasting is not about not eating so you can get God to do what you want. Okay, that's not what fasting is, Right? And then it's almsgiving, right? That's the traditional word, but it's generosity. And so we have our peace is worth it. Our peace is worth it giving initiative carries us through Easter and we give extra as a part of being shaped uh, and formed spiritually. So this Advent season, or excuse me, this Lent season, we're doing this little resource by Sister Wendy. It's called The Art of Lent. It's a little book and inside of it are about 40, it's like 40 days, obviously that's what Lent is. And there's, um, there's a painting on one side and then there's a little description on the other. If you want to read along and view the painting and meditate on that, be mindful of it, you can do that. And then we also have a whole bunch of people from our church that are writing their own daily reflection on what's written and the painting. And if you sign up for that, you'll get that in your inbox. Um, and it's, it's just a way to just connect and be on the same page over these 40 days to prepare our hearts for celebration of the resurrection on Easter. Uh, these books are available today out in the atrium. They're expensive because they're like these full-color, beautiful little books, so they're $16. Um, here's the deal, though. If you can't afford the book, just take one, okay? We don't want anybody to not participate for something as silly as, not, as, as being in a space where the $16 you don't have. But on the flip side of that is, for those of us in the room that have $32, please buy two books and take one, right? Does that make sense? No? Man, are you paying attention to what we're supposed to do in Christian community? I mean, keep up, people. This is a simple way to live it out, right? So you take a book if you need one. You buy two if you can. Buy five if you can, all right? Um, We have no mothership that sends this to us, okay? But we don't want anybody not to participate because of money, all right? So that's what we'll do today, and they'll be available throughout the week. There's not many, so I would encourage you to get one per house, so they were kind of hard to find. Um, but it's going to be fun. If you are interested in writing one of the reflections, like you like to write, it's a little 200-word reflection, um, and you'd like to write one, just put on your Connect card today, I'd like to write for the Lent journey, and we'll get you on the schedule, and you can write your thoughts and share them with the community. That's what we're supposed to do together, all right? So that's what's coming up here around Lent. But I would just encourage everybody to participate. Be a participant. That's what, like, the community's about, to, to grow with one another. And I think Christian community at its best, <laughs> when we're really centered on divine love, when we're really focused on caring for the needs of when we're really able to see the divine image in one another, 
it does something very powerful in the hearts of people that choose to, in faith, participate. It reminds us that we're not alone. And I think the divine is experienced in tremendous ways when we realize we're not alone. That's why there's something about gathering together to do this thing that seems really weird sometimes. I get it. There's something strange about singing songs, right, to God that is quote-unquote perfect and complete, and yet I'm singing. But, but it's just a reminder that I'm not alone. And I need people in the room to remind me I'm not alone, to experience God. There's healing that comes from that. So as we wrap up this morning, grab your Connect card, your offering envelope. We're going to sing this great song that really speaks to the idea of diversity and people coming together in a radical way. But what is it that God's inviting you into? This is a question I like to finish our time with every week. What is it that God, love, the universe, whatever word you like to use, this moment, what, is, what do you feel as an invitation? Maybe it's to sign up for the Lenten journey. You're like, baby steps. I'm not ready for membership. That's kind of crazy talk, Ryan, but that book seems kind of cool. I'll do that. Sign me up for the Lenten journey. Get your email. Be a part of that. Maybe you've been sitting, maybe you've been coming for a while and you've been hearing us talk about baptism and this idea of, of kind of connecting with the truth of who you are, that you are loved by God, that, that there is this perfect love that holds the whole world together, that offers us an understanding of ourselves that's so true and so powerful and so beautiful. And, and you've seen people get baptized and you'd say, I, that's the next step of my journey. And maybe you just want more information about baptism here at Crossroads, you can check that box on the back of the Connect card. Maybe you've been around for a while and you're like, yep, this is my, this is my place and these are my people. And I want to do everything I can to be a part of this in a healthy way, to create a space for, for peace to flourish, where divine love is at its center. And so you'd say, I want to find out more about membership. Maybe you're a member and you haven't been able to really connect and figure out how to find your fit. We're in this kind of two, three-week season where we're talking about finding your fit in ways that you can participate and building a strong and healthy community. We've talked about that before. And so, like, there's that find your fit card that's in the program. You can fill that out or you can check the box on your connect card. Maybe, maybe you're just being invited by God to believe that there is a, a faith community that can hold space for its imperfections and not gloss over them and not pretend that your hurt isn't real. And maybe you're just being invited to, to be in a season of healing and just sit behind the scenes, not do membership, not think about baptism, not think about serving, but just, just be and know that this is a space filled with people who just, we really do want to love. and We really do want to see healing power flow through us. And we're not interested in everybody believing the right thing because we all believe the wrong things and it's just part of the journey. But we do believe deeply that love can bear all things. So maybe God's just inviting you to find a little bit of a quiet home because there's something about this journey of faith that you say, I want to do it in community even though you had a really bad experience. So you can finish filling out your Connect card in just a few moments. Our room hosts are going to receive our donations today. Uh, there's the giving envelopes you can use, and they'll receive the Connect cards. If you're at the table, they'll, you can drop it right in the basket. If you're in the seats, they'll pass those here in just a moment. And then after this song, I'll come up for our blessing for the week and get us out of here to live as everyday normal peacemakers.
tomorrow.